Hey everyone, my name is Mimi Blue and you are listening to Human Dialectic. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your support. If you are brand new to my podcast, welcome and hopefully you will be part of the crew. And if you're curious as to what I talk about, I talk about pop culture or just culture in general, society, uh, international or domestic affairs, but primarily philosophy and adding a little bit of spirituality so you know that at the end of the day, you are very powerful and all of the governments and the institutions and the media would want to make you believe otherwise. So I tried to make sure that I could educate you, inspire you to do something or maybe just give you a few golden nuggets here and there in your busy day. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Who am I quoting? I'm quoting Charles Dickinson. And I do believe that we are definitely going through a seasonal phase, but I think it's going to be very, very long. And we are entering possibly the worst of times in modern history. Now, why would I even make that assumption? If you're paying attention to all of the signs, and they're all pointing towards a global collapse, you will begin to realize that we are very uh, limited or numbered in the good days, the good times. And we really need to focus on how we need to overcome the avalanche that is about to literally slap everybody in the face unless you are fully prepared. So let's actually take an example. Last week, I don't know about you, but last week was very hellish. Now, me personally, uh, the week was okay, but going down the list of headlines, you would be shocked that half of these items did not even appear in the mainstream media. But I'm going to go ahead and and inform all of you as to what has been going on and what does that mean entering into Q4, coming into, or at least we're sort of halfway through the month of October. What type of surprises are we going to expect in the month of October? And what are we going to expect for this winter? As you know, um, a lot of the elites have been using the, the key term dark winter. So Let's just go right into it with the headlines. Facebook and their outage. I think by now everybody is aware that they had a six-hour outage. It was conveniently timed around the same time that a whistleblower, who by the way is a fake whistleblower in my humble opinion, just to try and distract from really anything that Facebook is doing. But I do think that there is a sinister uh, outcome out of this. Twitch was also allegedly hacked, but that didn't really garner as much attention. I find it funny that we are having a funny, or should say, we are having a steady stream of these so-called cyber attacks. Jobs report was horrible for September, and there is a new consumer index, um, consumer price index report that's coming out this week, and that's really causing a lot of concern. But again, this is all by design. The Pandora Papers revealed that the wealthy are evading taxes. Why is this any surprise to anybody? Um, The only surprise here is that it didn't list any Americans, which is 
very strange because I know that there are many, many accounts offshore. Bitcoin went back up again, but I know that the markets are really trying to manipulate the value of Bitcoin because it really is about decentralization and the banks do not want that. The supply chain is continuously showing signs of strain. The U.S. government is allowing the Treasury, IRS, or banks, or actually, excuse me, a bill is being proposed to allow the Treasury, IRS, and banks to work against your interests and access more information about you more than ever. Airlines had a terrible week and were suffering many cancellations, primarily with Southwest. But it's not due to these unforeseen issues or weather, but it's really due to many walk-offs and people refusing to be inoculated. And then finally, China was attempting to use military action to take over neighboring countries like India and Taiwan. And as you know, when more powerful countries become weaker and weaker and emerging nations um, exercise their military action, There's only one outcome out of this, and that, unfortunately, is war. So I say all of this, even though we went through a brief list of the headlines, because I personally think that things are accelerating and getting out of control. It feels as if we are a passenger in the seat of a car. We are not in the driver's seat, but whoever is steering the car is driving at nearly 100 miles per hour, and we are about to crash into the wall. So common sense would tell you that we really need to step on the brakes or at least get control of the wheel, step on the brakes, and we need to reroute ourselves. But there are a lot of people who feel that things are back to normal and they're not back to normal. This is not going away and it's going to keep getting worse. So the theme of this episode with that opening of Charles Dickinson's quote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, I suspect and I really don't want to be or sound pessimistic I'm a realist I do believe that if things continue to go downhill there may be a surprise in the month of October and generally an October surprise is reserved right before an election even though this is not an election year for the primaries um, there are some states that do have elections this year but I mean I don't think it's it's that profound even though at the local level you really should be more engaged and involved versus at the national level but I do wonder if there is going to be a surprise in October and leading up to the winter time is it going to be one of the worst if not the worst winters economically speaking, that this country has ever encountered. I do want to be wrong. um, But at the end of the day, it's about being a realist and looking at the data. And I talk to a lot of people and things are not looking good. So let's just go into a little more detail um, on some of those headlines. And I don't know, here it is. This is to inform you and to figure out what you need to do. So let's talk about Facebook. I mentioned that I thought this was a convenient outage, a six-hour outage. There's all these theories that when a company um, goes out or goes black for specific periods of time, that they're doing some upgrades. I don't know if that theory is true, but I'm pretty sure there might be some evidence to it. 
This one is actually unique because there was a so-called whistleblower and I forgot her name, but I don't think her name is really relevant. You can find it out anyway. She d- she does a 60 minutes interview on a Sunday. And again, I will listen to that and see if there's anything of value to even give to all of you. But I'm pretty sure there isn't anything of a surprise. And the next day she goes to Congress. Um, actually, her name is Frances Hudgen. Just kind of came to me. She goes to Congress and she explains how Facebook's business model is exploiting children and they really do not care about the safety of children and so forth. All of that to me is, again, it's no surprise, but it's very lightweight. What I really want the so-called whistleblower, who I do think is fake, to tell Congress why does Facebook not try and and stop all of the child exploitation on their platform? Why do they allow certain voices to be heard and others suppressed, or we should just say censored? Facebook, which does own Instagram, tried to launch Instagram Kids. If you don't understand what that means, that is allowing certain predators to have access to children. Now, she did not say anything that was of worthy, but I would have really paid attention to her if she really talked about what's going on in those board meetings. Why are these certain decisions being made and they're going to exploit the children? And if you aren't aware, Facebook was designed to be addictive. A lot of these social platforms, Instagram, Snapchat, if anyone's using Snapchat, Twitter, It's all designed to be addictive. But I found so funny, but what I found so funny about this outage, a lot of people, I'm I'm not on those social platforms, even though I am going to most likely end up being on Instagram very, very soon. It just happened to be that uh, as I was creating that account, Instagram went down. But a lot of people who were on those platforms were either having panic attacks this is no joke, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, people didn't know what to do. And when I say people, it's probably the younger generation, but there may be some older folks who are addicted to it as well. A lot of people ended up running to Twitter and ironically saying they felt so relieved and felt saw a positive difference in, in their behavior and how they thought. But again, these people are running to a different platform to express how they feel. And this is a whole separate conversation, but I really do not believe that anybody should voice their opinions regardless of what platform you're on. We are in a different time where people feel as if they need to be the loudest voice in the room and these social media platforms have given people who shouldn't have these platforms a platform. And these obnoxious people are out here driving the morale of the entire country when in fact they should shut up and sit down and take a seat. So I just found that quite amusing that people were running to Twitter, but a six hour outage, that's uh, that's pretty significant. Um, so significant that Facebook has decided that they wanted their employees to go back into the office. So they have until January. I would hate to be working at Facebook because it was all the rage a couple of years ago. And those tech companies, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, Google, I mean, I, I, there is absolutely no desire to work at those companies. So if 
people want to accept the tyranny that, I mean, you can't have an actual private company be tyrannical, but they can act that way. If they want to stay there, that's fine. But uh, the moral, or at least the point of me talking about Facebook is I do not believe what's going on. I do believe that that is an orchestrated event. Now, what is the outcome? The outcome probably is going to be that there will be more censorship. They're going to, Facebook is probably going to have more measures, measures in place that will affect you, the consumer, and not really the company. And do remember that a lot of these front companies are essentially having their tentacles um, aligned to the government. You have to understand that these are entities, private corporations, but behind the scenes, they are working with the government. And if you weren't aware of that, if you, here's one little fact, the internet actually came out of a government project. It was, has nothing to do with Al Gore. It came out a government, out of a government project. So a lot of what you are using right now were actual beta projects that derive from the government. So what makes you think that a lot of these private corporations are not working hand in hand. They're just fronts for the government. So keep that in mind. Now, moving on to the jobs reports and a lot of a lot of these headlines, it's no surprise to me, but I think there are key indicators as to where we are going. So let's go into an article about the jobs report. And I quote, The Federal Reserve may delay tapering its monetary policies given that the September jobs report was weak. Meanwhile, Congress is lifting the debt ceiling, but only until December. Wall Street currently has a lot of unanswered questions about what lawmakers and the Fed will do in the long term. There are a number of unanswered questions about how the Federal Reserve will proceed with its monetary policies. In September, the U.S. economy created far fewer jobs than expected. Non-farm payrolls increased by 194,000 for September, which was drastically lower than 500,000 jobs economics or uh, economists were expecting. The unemployment rate did decline to 4.8%, which is a new pandemic low. I'm going to we're going to come back to that so-called uh data points. The disappointing jobs report for September was given was driven in large part by a decline in government employment. Now, I, all of that is a wash, and I'll tell you why. So, a couple things. One, they're acting as if they don't understand why the jobs reports are a miss, complete miss. And it's as if people don't want to address what is currently happening. If you look at what happened in 2020, people were locked down and people were laid off or they were furloughed. Now come to 2021, what is different compared to what happened last year? We are having these, we see these mandates where people need to be inoculated. And it's now a condition of employment. So you either get inoculated or you're fired. But a lot of employers don't even want to fire you because they don't want you to qualify for unemployment. In addition, they don't want to have in their record that they fired so many people. So that's why the <laughs> that's why the jobs report is horrible. People need to be very, very frank about what's going on. 
Now, when it comes to the unemployment rate, so here's a, a little known fact if you, well, if you were not aware of this, about 10 years ago, and with the Obama administration, they decided to fudge the numbers. So if you are somebody who is collecting unemployment checks, so you're unemployed, and you file for an unemployment, so you're collecting those checks, if you have been unemployed for a certain period of time, you get dropped off from the data. So you are no longer part of, uh, or at least considered unemployment. I don't know what that duration, I think it might be six months. I can't remember what it is, but keep that in mind. When they say 4.8%, they are still dropping people from that actual data point, the unemployment data point, that metric. In addition, you have many, many people who are being fired, but they're not being given termination papers or they're quitting. So that that figure, that 4.8% is not reflective of what's going on. And that's how you need to be able to read these articles and really interpret the data or at least interpret what is being communicated to you because certain certain words can be minced in a way or data sets or data in general will be sanitized to create a specific picture. And I again, this is no surprise, but they're acting as if they have no idea why this is happening. And I think clearly everybody, if you are speaking to people and if you are in tune with what's going on, you know exactly what's what's causing this. Now, the other thing is Washington is raising the U.S. borrowing limit only until December 3rd. So they want to raise the limit again. And at what point are Americans going to say this is enough? Like there's too much debt. We have too much debt. It's unbelievable. And I still can't believe that we are still passing trillion dollar bills. I'm aware. I mean, I obviously have a daytime job and there's just a lot going on and it's very hard to keep up with the news. But I want to do this research because I want to be informed and I have to prepare myself and I want all of you to prepare on your own means. And if you think that things are great, fine, that that is your reality. But the facts are the facts. And I know that there's also going to be a global collapse. So it's bringing this attention right now so that you can make those specific decisions. Now, what other factor or actual um, indicator is showing that things are not going to look good for this winter? So if you haven't been paying attention to the supply chain I know a lot of you may not have a business account uh, with either FedEx or UPS or whoever is your um, logistics or I should say like your your supplier, but they have raised their rates. So they've raised their rates for the winter time, and we already know that there is a struggle right now to obtain certain goods, especially if it is overseas. A lot of companies were operating under this idea of um, being very lean and not having a lot in inventory. It's causing a lot of issues. It really is. Um, And I will just give you a just read an excerpt from an actual article 
so that you can understand how severe it is. So if you think that you're going to be able to get anything for Christmas, that's not going to happen. You may even be paying more than what you did last year and be very, very wise as to when you order things. Because if you think that Amazon is still going to give you that two day delivery, you might want to think again. So here's the article from, um, I think it's DN, DNYUZ.com. Delays, product shortages, and rising costs continue to bedeviled businesses, large and small, and consumers are confronted with an experience once rare in modern times, no stock available, and no idea when it will come in. In the face of an enduring shortage of computer chips, Toyota this month, and this article was actually written in August, but this is just to kind of crystallize what exactly, like where we are currently uh, in the state of, of supply chain. Toyota this month announced that it would slash its global production of cars by 40%. Factories around the world are limiting operations despite powerful demand for their wares because they cannot buy metal parts, plastics, and other raw materials. Construction companies are paying more for paint, lumber, and hardware while waiting weeks and sometimes months to receive what they need. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I don't know if you know anybody who's been trying to complete a renovation or build a house. I know a handful of people. They said that they have parts of their house that's unfinished. They still cannot get what they need. That's how bad the backlog is. In terms of the cars, now, I went to a mechanic a couple weeks ago, and I just had a, a brief conversation with him, and he was telling me, that used cars are now as as expensive as a brand new car. And you would be very lucky if you could find a brand new car. Now, I, I actually didn't believe it. But this past weekend, I was driving on the highway and passing many car dealerships. And I noticed that their lots were a, a, like a lot lighter. And it then occurred to me that this isn't a joke. Like they literally do not have new vehicles. And what's happening is that if you do have a used vehicle and it's in good condition and and just let's let's just say that you you have a car that could be in good demand, we are going to see people reselling their vehicles at prices above market price. Now that is if your car's in good condition because it's becoming very, very difficult to find parts. It's becoming more expensive to fix cars. And that's why I encourage every single one of you to keep your car in good shape. Regardless of where you live, keep your car in good shape because you don't want your issues to compound. And then when you're trying to fix your car, they don't have the parts or they, the mechanic or the shop has to wait several days or weeks in order to fix your car. So things are getting really expensive, but for people who are looking to sell their car, just make sure that there is a car for you to to buy if you plan on selling your used vehicle. But it's it's getting really crazy. I would never have thought to this day that a used vehicle would cost just as much as a brand new vehicle. I mean, it's 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 insane. And I do believe that cars that may have been made, let's just say before 2005. So cars that don't require computer chips are going to become 
more valuable than the cars that do have computer chips and are in good shape. It's it's such a strange time. We are living in a very, very strange time. So I'm going to continue reading the article. At the same time, many companies had slashed their inventories in recent years, embracing lean production to cut costs and boost profits. That left minimal margin for error. Now, if you recall, there was a giant ship that lodged in the Suez Canal earlier this year, halting traffic on a vital waterway linking Europe to Asia for a week, which added to the mayhem on the seas. So did a series of temporary coronavirus-related closures of key ports in China. Now, what's one thing to, to come from, or at least to, to highlight there, these key ports in China, if there was one person that tested positive, the whole port would shut down. And I mean, that that was causing additional havoc as well to the supply chain because they would be shut down, not just days, weeks, weeks. So the supply chain is looking really, really horrible internationally, or at least from a global standpoint. Domestically, I know that a lot of farmers have been uh, instructed um, to destroy their crops. And I will I think in a future episode, I will play that that audio, but they've been receiving notice to destroy their crops. So we're seeing an artificial food shortage. And I'm beginning to see certain aisles that are empty. So it's not as bad as it was last year, but I am noticing that certain types of food are missing. I know Costco had an issue, or they still currently have an issue where they're short on paper towel and toilet paper, depending on where you are. So I actually went to a different state. Um, I was actually visiting a different state and one particular Costco, they had the, they had the paper towel. They did not have the toilet paper. So we are coming across this issue again, (laughs) again. Anyway, so let's move on to banks. I'm going to touch on this one just, just really briefly because it, makes me sick. But the only way to stop this is to get this information out. Now, if you're familiar with fractional banking, fractional banking is essentially the idea that a bank, or let's just say you as a a customer, can deposit $100 into an account with a specific bank. But by law, the banks are only required to have just 1%. I think it's 1% or 10%. I think it's 10%. 10% actually in the bank as reserves. So the $100 that you just deposited, will $90 of that will then be taken out, magically taken out, and the banks will then sell the $90 as a loan. So they're using your money, and I know there's great videos that will explain this in better detail, but ultimately the banks are creating money out of thin air. You yourself, you cannot go to somebody and say, hey, how about you store your money with me and I'll ensure that it's safe. And once that person makes that that commitment or there's that agreement, you would be thrown in jail if you decided to use that person's funds for something else but the banks are allowed to do that. So what am I really sick about? 
President Joe Biden's 3.5 trillion budgets, we're no longer in the billions, we're in the trillions at this point, trillion budget reconciliation plan includes a laundry list of wishes touching everything from Medicare to child care to electric vehicles. One of the more controversial proposals that might be included would give the IRS more scrutiny over bank accounts. The proposal would require banks, credit unions, and other financial companies to monitor deposits and withdrawals in accounts that have balances above $600 at any time during the year. That would include the vast majority of personal and small business accounts. So what does this proposal look like? Well, let me break it down. The idea is to require banks, credit unions, and other providers of financial services to track and to submit information to the IRS about the total inflows and outflows of every account that features a balance above $600. So at any point during the year, or with at least that much in annual transactions, does anyone see a problem with that? So reports would be submitted by banks. They don't need your consent. You just having money in the bank is consent enough. So these banks would submit reports to the IRS, which would break down the numbers to include physical cash transactions per account and any transactions with a foreign account and transactions between accounts held by the same owner. The IRS wouldn't receive details on individual transactions, but rather gross yearly totals. And so I think they're just putting that in, putting that out there just to say they're not going to have that much transparency. But um, I I think that that's it's BS. They're going to have all visibility to everything that you do. They're saying 600. Well, guess what? 600 is going to go to go down to 500 and then 500 is going to go down to 200. And the next thing you know, everybody's transactions are being monitored. I I don't know. I'm if if anybody understands history, that's not a good sign at all. The bill has not been passed yet, but that is what is in the bill. Buried in in thousands and thousands of pages, that's in the bill. Man, I don't know. It's it's really, really bad times, but it's so important to get this information out. And if you're probably wondering, why would they even consider doing this? Yes, it's about power and control, but the justification by the Treasury Treasury Department and IRS is that they need to find new streams of revenue. Is that insane? That's absolutely insane. So let's get to the last topic, which would be about the airlines. So this is, I'm going to read a article from CBS News, and I'm going to break down how they are, their so-called journalism, how they, they report on the news. And I think for some of you, you may be aware that it, uh, the truth is never really explicitly told. It's masked in so many lies. So I'm just going to read one piece of this CBS News article. Southwest Airlines is experiencing a fifth straight day of widespread cancellations. Early numbers show 7% of Southwest flights have been canceled today. On Monday, Monday meaning this past Monday for the week of October 11th, 435 Southwest flights were canceled, bringing the total above 2,000 since Friday. 
Some Southwest passengers have had to pick between paying for other transportation or staying put for days. I mean, that's unbelievable. If you live for, I should say, if you live, um, I was going to say four hours away, but really if, if it's four hours or five hours by flight, I mean, if you're in LA and you need to get to New York, I mean, how are you going to do that? Cross country, it's not going to make sense to drive. So I can't even imagine how, how these people are, are dealing with this. And Southwest is typically good. I mean, I enjoyed Southwest, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's going downhill. So going back to the article, it's not clear what is causing the disruption, but the delays and cancellations began shortly after the pilots union tried to block Southwest's new CV-19 inoculation mandate. When asked by CBS News if there was any chance the disruption could have been caused by pilots calling out sick over the company's mandates, Casey Murray, president of the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association, Association, said that that was not the case and that the airline's pilot sick rate for this weekend was right in line with what's occurring this summer. Once again, BS. BS. So I, you know, Twitter was on fire this past weekend with many, many people complaining about Southwest Airlines. But what they're not going to tell you, and it's a common theme. I mean, it's just where we are right now. A lot of the the, uh, flight attendants, the pilots, they are not for this mandate. Many of them are walking out. I can't say if they are quitting but they're walking out and they're not happy. And they're, I don't know if this is rumor, I think it, it has been confirmed true, but certain air traffic controllers in the southeast, southeast region have walked out or were walking out, which is why it was causing that disruption. And one of the reasons why Southwest Airlines would, um, or at least one of the reasons that Southwest Airlines was giving all of their passengers, if their flight was affected, was it was due to weather. You can't keep saying it's due to weather. People are not that stupid. And I think me being able to outline all of this, they really think, and you know who they are, they really think that we are dumb. And people are getting to a point where they hate being lied to constantly, even when even when we know that they are lying, they're still going to lie to us. So I really don't know if any of these other airlines, whether Delta, American Airlines, um, JetBlue, I actually have not heard a lot of bad things about JetBlue, but I know American Airlines, United is absolute trash. If you recall that police officer beating up a passenger in Chicago, I know I hate bringing that up, but it just, it, it is the quintessential um, moment or image of United is knowing that you could get beat up. That is just how how bad United is. But United, Southwest Airlines, American Airlines, Delta, and I know there's a couple other ones that are not even worth mentioning. They're struggling. So if you are going to be traveling for the winter, I hope it all goes well, but you would rather just drive because it's not going to get any better for holiday season. None of this is it none of what I just told you will improve the holiday season, or at least this last quarter of the year. So my question to all of you is how confident are you that things are improving 
or worsening. Again, I'm a realist. I'm not a pessimistic person. I do have a lot of hope and I do think that things can turn around. But the only way that things can turn around is if you recognize the danger and you pass this message or you inform other people. They need to wake up. And at least I can consume this information and make a decision. And that's on me. I can't control what you do. But I know that collectively we need to do something because I don't know what 2022 is going to bring. 2020 sucked. Um, 2021 was a little weird, but I don't think 2022 is going to have a good outlook. Well, I know we're reaching the end and I know we are living in a very delicate time, but always, always try and stay positive, stay awake and you know, we, we're, we're going to get through this. It's going to be tough. Very, very tough. But we're going to get through this. Anyways, thank you for listening. And I will talk to you soon.